I'm Mark Haywood, and this is Behind the Spine, a podcast which deconstructs genre and narrative and finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places. There was a picture of people partying in the background, and there was one word over the top of it, and it just said, yes. We only need to hear names like Coca-Cola, Disney, McDonald's, and our minds instantly conjure up an image. But with the most recognisable brands, it's not just an image that we see. There are emotions, memories, and relationships attached to them as well. How a brand is perceived is critical to its reputation, its trustworthiness, and how we connect with it as human beings. On the surface, a single image appears simple, but as when fleshing out any narrative, the more simple it looks, the more work has been invested in its creation. I wanted to explore what writers can learn from the world of branding. So this week, I'm joined on the podcast by Pete Gomori, the founder and creative director of brand agency, Studio Gomori. Chapter one, why do I care? It is important that the motivation of a character is authentic. It allows the reader or audience to understand why characters behave in a certain way. It allows the audience to care. And it's the same for brands. There is much for writers to learn from the way brands use subtlety to enhance their image, focusing on tweaking and improving small details rather than setting out to reinvent the wheel. Pete explains how brands are seeking the same level of emotional investment you have in your favourite fictional character. The absolutely crucial thing in in marketing and branding is to uh, make people care because the company lives and dies by its its revenue, its profits. If you're standing in a supermarket and looking at all sorts of different brands of deodorant, to you, that's which one shall I buy today? To the company, that's are we going to survive and be able to pay our wages? So actually, um, it, it, it's absolutely critical uh, uh, for that to happen. The interesting thing, I think, from a from a writer's point of view, and something that I've had to learn in my kind of nascent fiction writing career, is that when you are working to your own brief rather than someone else's, when you're devising your own characters, it can be a lot harder to decide for yourself how much people will actually care about something when you're working with a client in branding and marketing you get very clear feedback whether somebody thinks that what 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 you've written uh, is is interesting or useful or powerful and when you're learning to write your own work and your own characters it's it's much harder to get that feedback uh, because you believe in them so much yourself and they you know they're from within so brands that have already existed as and let's just differentiate so this is let's imagine you get um, pulled onto a project whereby there is an existing brand and they're looking to do a particular campaign this is a brand or for the writers uh, the fiction writers um, who are listening uh, a character uh, for the want of a, a better word that already exists that people are already emotionally connected in so that brand presumably comes with a series of attributes whether it be logos as you've said whether it be colors um, a series of values and a series of emotional connections that the audience already has. Um, it would be very odd then, I assume, for you to go in and try and take that brand in a completely different direction, given the emotional investment that the customer, or as we would call it, the audience or the reader already has in that particular brand slash character. So how do you go about doing that? Presumably it must be, you know, small changes, little and little baby steps is that right yes it's quite rare for a company to entirely reinvent its brand completely from scratch although it does happen and actually those are the 
campaigns which seem to get the most um, noise is when there is a, a real major you know change but more often what happens is that someone will say uh, sorry a client will say we have this brand we have this core to what we do what we need to do is refresh it and update it for the modern world or you know we, we haven't we haven't made a change in five ten years the world has changed but we we still look the same what do we do about that and in that situation, again, in in a way, similarly to, I, I suppose, how you might write for a franchise or how you might, for example, a uh, you know do a modern version of a fairy tale, what you would be doing is looking at that brand, trying to get to the heart of what what its magic is, what what's interesting about it in a timeless way, you know, what what emotional benefit it has, which is universal, which is eternal what it what it can stand for or do in the world uh, you know in in the long term and then try to find something which is current or a or a new way of expressing it which is interesting and and useful for the for the present day um i once heard and i don't remember who said it but the the, the most powerful communication is always both timeless and timely which I very much take to heart in terms of um, brands or, or marketing campaigns, you have to have an, a part of it which is completely timeless and which is resonant with people no matter what decade, no matter what what work they do, no matter who they are, a kind of a universal emotional benefit. And then you need to find a modern way of expressing it. And that, for example, could be anything from the use of music to the use of humor to the, the, to the new sorts of... Um, stock characters who you know exist in the present day you know the hipster and things like that who you might you know use instead of a, a, an older stock character um the way you use language uh, you know or, 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 there's all sorts of ways of doing things in a new way but it has to have that timeless core to it it sounds very similar to the old adage that a lot of fiction writers hear which is there that there are no new stories there are just new ways of telling them is that i mean that that's the parallel that's what we're saying it's the same in brand uh, brand agency work isn't it yeah absolutely and and in fact in um brand work there is a famous model or uh, brand theory model called brand archetypes which draws directly on jungian archetypes which I'm sure many of your your, your uh, listeners will will know and use and understand, and whether or not that's the be all and the end all of psychological understanding, it's a very useful model to look at to say actually there are a set number of ingrained stories and archetypes and roles and personalities that people quickly understand it's certainly not to say that those are the only things that we should be writing about and especially in the 21st century we don't i don't think just want stories which are about um stereotypes or archetypes and 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 things like that and, and, and anything which is expected but we also have to be honest about i think human psychology which is that people do recognize certain things quicker and have fast associations with them and that's why it's it's easy to communicate with them and I, and I would say that's probably one big difference between what i found in terms of brand writing and uh fiction writing is that brand writing is necessarily reductive and it's it's as simple as possible and as simplistic as possible because if, for example if you put a poster up on the london underground um, you have an average of three seconds of people looking at it. And I, actually, I think that's generous, but um, that's what they say. So if you don't communicate everything about your emotional benefit, the story you're telling, 
and what the product is and you know within three seconds then you've failed so you have to be extremely reductive you have to be very clear you have to tap into things which already exist in people's minds whereas with fiction while you certainly do that there is I mean, there's, there's just more space to, 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 to nuance and enrich and question. And, and you don't want your brand agency doing that constantly for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking about how, how much time I spend reading those very lengthy Jack Daniels adverts on the tube. <laughs> I think I probably give that a lot more than three seconds. But you're right, I can think of, you know, adverts where it's I'll, I'll look at it and I may not get it immediately. And I'm, I'm already you know, turning away. It's that, it's that ephemeral, isn't it? It, it can happen that quickly if a brand yes. is, if it's not working. Um, I'm always fascinated when people talk about art or an art form is how quickly the conversation gets technical. It sounds like what you're describing is a very technical process. It sounds odd to say that it is technical in order for it to be, you know, pithy, for it to be quick, for it to be simple. It's not, it's not this is gonna sound weird it's not just as simple as being simple surely yes and absolutely and and, and it's a, it's a real skill and you notice it with more junior people who start in, in down the path of working in marketing and branding that they will tend to over elaborate um and they will be keen to write lots of words to get praise for each word that they write and i was like that too and then you realize as you get uh, more experience that actually economy of language is incredibly important that if you are able to resist the temptation to write extra words when you don't need them and words which convolute and complicate and aren't precise then actually you're you you receive a lot more praise for for being clear and uh specific and uh, able to express things which are evocative or or potentially expansive in someone's mind, but just using very few words. That is something that which, though I've also learned from from the world of writing, and uh, fiction writing in terms of improving my craft, because I think that there are, there is a wonderful understanding in the world of, um, you know, writing for, for literature and for screenwriting and understanding which words do what. And I think that that's something which, uh, you know, you, you also need to learn in, in branding is which are the words which you can, which need to be the, the, the basic skeleton of the sentence, which are the words you're going to use to dial up, how florid are you going to go, and you need to have a lot of words in your head. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but you need a, you need a good vocabulary, you need good, is it called lexis, your, 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 the, the choice of words that you use? You need to you need to really understand that and know which words to use and which words not to use and when to tweak them so that you can get that emotional impact but still keep the skeleton simple. Chapter two, trust in restraint. It's a critical yet immensely difficult thing to do, to bully every word, sentence and paragraph that you write, to cut instead of add, to leave more out than you leave in. It goes against our nature as writers. We want to adorn the page with words, showcase our command of language, but often that command is better shown in our restraint. Take the film A Quiet Place, for example. In early drafts of the screenplay, there were passages with barely more than a single sentence on a page, using the vast, terrifying blankness of the white space to capture the fear and suspense of the moment. Sometimes it really is what you don't say that's the most powerful. Definitely, I think that some, something that uh, writers could learn from brand work is exactly that and examining um, and absorbing some of the 
campaigns that have been put out there just to really think about what they're doing. So for example, LucasAid ran a campaign a few years ago, um, which was about the feeling that uh, positive energy gives you. And obviously, LucasAid is a sugary drink. The point is, they're talking about the the feeling that you get, not the practical benefit of the of the you know, sugariness. And if you were going to do a practical practical campaign, you would do what they did in the old days, which was you know the John Barnes gets to your thirst fast uh, isotonic beverage, that kind of thing. The, the the modern campaign, there was a picture of people partying in the background, and there was one word over the top of it, and it just said yes, and that was it, and. You through that one word, you communicate everything about the feeling of positive energy when you're at a party, when you're going out clubbing, when you're skateboarding, when you're running around a football pitch, you know, when you're whatever it is you're doing with your your family and friends, it, it evokes an entire set of um, of feelings and experiences through one word. Now, you, you, it's very unlikely that you would ever have a an opportunity when you're writing something to just write one word and just doing something very avant-garde. But, but the point is obviously that you can get a lot out of out of very few words. There's also um I'm also inspired by I think it's in Their Finest Hour, is that what the film's called? Uh, about the writer during the war. And the advice she keeps getting is um you you've written too many words, write half as many words. Get rid of half of the words. And she says, which half should I get rid of? And the guy says the half you don't need. Yeah. And I yeah, just it's, oh, great advice. It's wonderful. It's very reminiscent of, um, of I know that there are um, several poets who uh, listen to the show. And I've always believed that poetry is among some of the more, most demanding stuff you can ever write, because literally there is not a wasted syllable um, or beat or comma or, or semicolon or whatever. It's all the only thing that remains on the page is that which is absolutely necessary. But I like I like the example of the the, the use of the one word, you know, yes. Um, and I've I've actually been uh, feeling quite nostalgic recently. I watched something recently which was a a, a mashup. Um, it's a video doing the rounds at the moment. You you may have seen it. It's basically um, appealing to those people that were brought up that was kind of born in the seventies, brought up in the eighties, and it's basically a mashup of every single brand, you know, from our childhood and it's astonishing how deeply connected i felt to that four minute video of images from my childhood you know just it's very simple pictures of of the marathon bar that became snickers very simple images of you know bikes and um we didn't really have you know computer games but just the delight i take in seeing something like an atari uh, or a Commodore 64 or a BBC micro, you know, computer. Very, these are inanimate objects, and yet we feel so deeply connected to them, which is why I, I'm, which is why I'm guessing that brand agencies exist because we are human beings um, almost predisposed to care about things as inanimate as a brand, but they're not brands, are they? They're, and I hope this doesn't sound um, trite. But they are part of our lives. You know, we grow up with them. We grow old with them. They're a bit like continuing dramas, aren't they? You know, we know these people perhaps better than we know members of our own family or we see these characters more often than we see our own friends. These objects are part, as you said earlier, of our daily lives. That I'm, I hope I'm not overstating that. Is, it, is, is that what we're trying to get to? It's that level of emotional engagement with an object? 
yes, I think you're. I think you're right, and I think that it's it, it, it is a difficult thing for us to um, admit. But you know, the first thing I see when I wake up in the morning is um, you know probably one of the one of the objects which is on on the dresser in my in my bedroom. I'm looking at a can of deep heat right now, and you know that 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 piece of packaging is speaking to me. There are words which are communicating with me. I read that. I, I hear a voice in my head. Um, that sounds wrong, but you know what I mean. I I, 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 hear, I, I hear that phrase in my head that says deep heat, and and there's a visual there apart from the writing there which is communicating with me. All of these things here are are doing that, and it's whenever when you work in branding to be honest you always have this kind of set this half half thing in your head of oh this is so cheesy and corny and i'm and i'm you know you know i i i feel like i should be changing the world somehow and on the other hand you say to yourself but this is people's life this is people's world and there is a job that you're doing which actually kind of paints the colors of people's everyday lives and there's there's kind of something in that which is weirdly meaningful Occasionally, these two worlds um, cross over in terms of fiction writing and um, brand work. I'm thinking of, you know, obviously very famous examples like Mad Men um, and also uh, the Mel Gibson film, What Women Want. Um, there's also a, a classic Dudley Moore film. I can't remember the name of it, but it, it has that classic Volvo, they're boxy, but they're good scene in it where they try and recreate um, brands. You, you mentioned earlier, you talked about your own um, nascent footsteps as a, a fiction writer. Have you been able to use any of the skills that you've taken from your um, your branding career and apply them to the page as a fiction writer? Yes, for sure. Uh, the, 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 the first one is um, simply uh, writing, the, the confidence in writing. And I think one of the lucky things for me, and I think anybody who's worked in my line of uh, work, is that if you've spent 15 years copywriting, then you basically know how to string a sentence together. You know, you know you're know, you not worried about your grammar and your punctuation and your sentence structure, you know, but just a little bit beyond that, also just the flow of paragraphs about constructing sentences of, of different lengths so that people don't get bored of just holding people's attention through a paragraph like I say, vocabulary and and word choice and and a love of language and a love of just playing with words and seeing what words feel right in a sentence. Um, also, a- another thing which potentially could be an interesting exercise for any writers out there to try is when you are a com- writer for commercial reasons, you, especially in, within an agency, you end up having very short deadlines very sudden short deadlines where someone says i need you to write a paragraph within the next hour (laughs) and it's going to go on our website so it's got to be perfect and you say okay i'm going to do that then and you spend an hour writing and you you smash it out and you rewrite it six times within an hour and then you get over to them and it goes up on someone's website so you have to become very confident with um, extremely fast work that you edit quickly you become confident about it being good enough within itself what that has helped me with is I just think confidence confidence of saying I I can write this I can then rewrite it and not worry about that I can edit it without kind of breaking my heart and when I show it to people just feeling confident that the writing itself is competent on the other hand something which I think I should have learned a lesson I should have learned earlier about writing fiction is that in brand writing and in any any kind of writing for marketing, you are 
drilled from an early part of your career to say there is a difference between the idea and the execution. So everything starts with an idea. It starts with a concept, which is um, something meaningful, robust, like I said, both timeless and timely, which is um, an emotional, attitudinal, interesting something bit of magic, which sits at the heart of everything. And then you just hang all of your writing and all of your design and all of your work off that. When you get into the execution, you're then coming up with different ways of expressing that same idea. And you can do that in a hundred different ways and then throw 99 of them away and keep one. I think with my fiction writing, what I started to do was just write, write and write and write and write and write and write. And, write. and then I got to the end of how many thousands of words and, I, and it was hard for me to chuck a lot of it in the bin because I felt like, well, that was my creative expression and it came out of me and I wrote it. Whereas if it was marketing, I would have said, well, listen, I had an idea. I tried to execute it. I then self-critiqued and executed again and self-critiqued and executed again. I got someone else to read it, you know, and I would have been a lot more um, comfortable with that text being malleable. So I think what I should have done was learn my own lesson that I learned in brand writing, which is say, I've got an idea. I've articulated that well. I know what that is. I'm now going to experiment with the execution of that and then keep the best bits of that going forward. Chapter three, write without fear. Or maybe it should be write without fear to an extent. It's interesting to pick up on the point of working to a tight deadline, because although from the outset that sounds extremely restricting, it's actually very freeing to know there's a time limit, to understand that you can't muse and ruminate endlessly. It really does hone your thinking. What that often means, though, is that you're riffing on things you've become accustomed to, simply because you don't have the time to stray from what is familiar. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. As Pete explains, creativity is important, but so too is managing expectations. And there's there's two sides to that. One is the the structure within the actual creative work, which a brand agency does. So, for example, um, sticking with the copywriting side of it, you, you may well write the tagline for a brand. And if you decide to write a 30-word tagline because you think it's this genius idea that no one's ever done, and it's an acrostic, or I don't know, whatever whatever you think it should be, and you present that to a client, they are likely to say, uh, you're very creative, but this doesn't look like a tagline. Um, so so I, I'm not buying it. So in other words, you need to understand the structure of the different things which you might be writing, whether that's a tagline, whether that's a product name, whether that's a, a, a longer piece of copy for a website. Uh, you know, how, 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 what does a website usually sound like? You know, and it's funny that actually you, as a brand writer, you often fall into the same traps, um, which is something you need to look out for. So, for example, one of the current cliches in, in brand writing is you'll get an email from someone which will say, uh, well, actually, it's more likely to be in a, in a TV script. At Company Limited, we think that XYZ. That's why we ABC. And you hear that structure constantly at the moment you know at so and so we believe in this that's why we do that which and you it, it's it, you just start to write that when you sit down and and uh and write for people so it's important to understand it as well as the structure the, th the structural things that are useful to break now but um apart from that side of things which is which is the craft and the structure within the writing there's also the structure of presenting and winning people over and explaining to someone how your idea works. Now, within the world of branding and marketing, 
that will commonly be done with a presentation, a kind of a often a set of brand guidelines where you break down your brand into the different elements which are um, contained within it. So that might be a logo, like I said, a color palette, a set of graphic styles, typography, tone of voice is always uh, within a, a set of brand guidelines as well. So, you know, what's what's the linguistic personality like of this company? And again, breaking it down into a kind of a structure which is all hanging off a central idea helps that client to buy it um, and to and to get into the space to say, I can see how this is all going to pan out and and um, and, I, and I can buy it now from you. When you um, when you are exposed to a brand that you haven't worked on professionally, do you find yourself um, analyzing it in terms of uh, the work that's gone into the creation of that brand? Because I always find, you know, I'm able to separate my own self as a reader or a viewer of, um, you know, reader of books, uh, a viewer of film and television. But also I find myself instinctively going, oh, that's interesting how they've done that. Is it the same um, with you and brands? Do you find yourself going, mm, that's interesting. I like I like the structural work that's gone on there. Yes, you, it's 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 a really interesting question. I've never really thought about it like that before. There's there tends to be a sort of a friendly rivalry in a way between lots of agencies where people will look at what's been gone before and 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 sort of naturally have to push against it because if you're being brought in to rework something, it's relatively. I'm not, I'm not speaking from necessarily from personal experience, but I'm just just thinking it through. It's relatively unlikely that someone would come in and say, "Hey, I love what your last brand agency did. Let's just tweak this." It's more likely that someone's going to say, "Ah, oh, those guys didn't know what they were doing. Let me tell you why I'm a genius, and need to, you need to pay me lots of money." So, um, but but actually, as a, as a brand person, I think it's just about being analytical. You will look at something and you'll say, well, "What works here? What do I need to change? What should I tweak?" Is it in everybody's benefit to say, why don't you just keep that and, and do that the same as, as, as what you did before? I think that as a person who works in branding and marketing, you sort of um, are probably in the same way that you do with, with watching films. You sort of see through, you have that kind of x-ray vision where you see through it and you, um, you kind of go, oh, I get what they're trying to do there. You also get incredibly frustrated at all the bad work, which is, which is out there. And you look at a poster on the tube again, for example, or a TV ad and you say, I know that, there was a copywriter, there was a designer, there was a director, there was a account director, there was a client, there was the client's boss, there was the CEO. How many people signed this thing off and yeah. for it to get on the TV because it is so bad? Um, and you, you kind of get a bit frustrated like that, but you kind of have to let it go. Well, I think there's a very powerful lesson in that because people always assume that the, the, key to, the key to a successful writing career is the quality of the writing. And if that were true, there would be nothing bad on television. So um, maybe it's not. Maybe it is all about the branding. Pete Kamori, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. A massive thank you then to Pete Kamori for joining me on the podcast. To recap, what have we learned? Creating a brand identity is like telling a story. In fact, it's exactly like telling a story. The techniques used to develop a brand and foster emotional connections with consumers are similar to those used to develop plot and character. Sometimes, less is more. Whether it's taking a step back and engaging in a little self-criticism, or setting yourself a tight deadline if you're writing for the sake of writing rather than to develop plot or character, question yourself, rethink the process. The most powerful form of communication is both timeless and timely. When developing characters and stories, it's more important to hone in on what's magic about them than to imagine how you might completely reinvent the wheel. Be creative, 
but understand that there are good reasons why we feel more comfortable with and can quickly understand certain portrayals and personalities. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. And if you'd like to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook as at Behind the Spine. New episodes are released weekly. Please like us and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Goodbye, stay safe, and keep writing. <laughs>